everybody. On today, I'm pretty excited. It's been a long time get for me. And I, as you guys know, I searched the world far and wide to bring you guys great content and VW history and some of the people that made that happen. And today, we essentially have VW royalty here. I've got Clyde Berg on the podcast today. Clyde, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. So uh, there's a lot of places that I can start. But my main focus is, and I and I always start the podcast with what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens, but you were kind of born into the hobby. So I think maybe I'm going to start out with some pointed questions like, when did you first start working at the shop? <laughs> um, well, when we moved down here to, well, actually we started when we were still in Seattle. We would uh, tear down the core motors for dad. So, and, and how old are you at the time? Um, six, seven years old. So at six, seven years old, you're working in the shop. Yep. When did working at the shop for you become fun? Or let me rephrase that. When did you get into working into the shop versus like it was like dad says we got to go to the shop? Uh, I I don't know if I can answer that word, you know, I mean, I've always enjoyed working at the shop. You so. have, you just love tinkering with tools and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I said, cause I was kind of born into it. So it was just natural to do that, you know, and don't get me wrong. There was times when I wanted to get away from the shop, sure, sure. But, you know, so growing up then from tearing apart the motors, what's the first responsibility you get at the shop? Like the first real thing, dad's going to trust me with this. <laughs> well, we moved down here was uh, cleaning the bathrooms. You used to clean the restrooms. <laughs> so he had you clean the bathrooms. It was like your first official, like, yeah. do this. And, and yeah. was he leaning on cleaning the bathrooms or was he a stickler on everything that you did? Because your dad's got a reputation yeah. of being really particular about things done a certain way. And he was always that way with us. With everything? Know? Pretty much. Even yeah. cleaning the bathroom, it's like, look, you did a terrible job. Get back in there and do it right. Like, Absolutely. Really? Yeah, no doubt. So, Gene, because what, what I picked up being young and reading the catalog, I really I picked up how particular he is by what he says in his catalog. Like, don't do this. You pay credit card. You pay more. It's like everything. There's no there's no hidden anything. It was like you could tell he was real precise and particular in what he did, and he was he was solid in his convictions of the way things were going to be like, yep. this is how you build a motor. Yep. And I think what a lot of people misunderstand, no one reads the fine print and your dad's fine print doesn't fine print. It's right up front. It says, if you want an engine to last a hundred thousand miles, this is what you need to do. And Correct. people somehow have always overlooked that statement. Yeah. And said like, well, yeah, but Berg said, no, but Berg says it under the pretense of, do you want to get a hundred thousand miles out of this motor? Yep. This is the way you do it. Yep. And yeah, like I said, a lot of people didn't ever really realize that was what he was saying. Right. You know, because they had tried something else and no, it'll run. It's fine. You know, but every 10,000 miles they're rebuilding their motor or fixing it, you know, whereas the one that we put together, you know, 20 years from now, they're still, you know, yeah. driving it. A hundred percent. And I think that's one of the biggest things that gets overlooked. Now, how old are you when you start to get into the hobby, the VW hobby? Because you're what's crazy is you're your dad's in this business that it's really cool for young guys in the 60s that are hot, hot rod and Volkswagens. Right. 
And then even for the in the next 10 years in the 70s, right? That's when you're into Volkswagens in the late 70s, early 80s. Sure. Now your friends, so all of a sudden it's almost essentially like you're kind of a, you're kind of a big deal in Southern California. The California look, everybody's in the lowered Volkswagens, cool stuff, fast this, fast that. When do you kind of get realization of that? Like, wow, you know, my dad's done a ton, and and like it's a pretty big deal that we get to work here, and I got a fast car, and I got a cool street car, and you know that kind of stuff. Like, when does all that start coming together for you? Still waiting. <laughs> I, I never had a fast street car uh really? never had a painted street car uh no none of that growing up uh-uh. so all your stuff was just like you so for so for you has it always been just work yeah but it, it's my life so you know it's hard to say that it's work when you know that's your life you know your life's kind of built around that i mean you know dad being who he was uh you know, even in the 60s and 70s, you know, late 60s, early 70s, when we first came down here, um, you know, and I don't know if, you know, when we first came here, it was to be partners in the Dino Dinosaurs. Yeah, tell me a little bit about that. How old are you when you guys move here? Uh, I was eight years old. So you're eight years old. So so your memory is from being eight years old and seeing what's going on. So what do you understand about how that whole thing came together, transpired, and then your dad decides to go on his own. What's the story behind that? Well, it's funny. The trip down, I remember, because uh, Gene had his 68 bus, mm-hmm. and uh, it actually had the very first set of 92s on that bus. Really? Yeah, ever imported. And it was a mistake because he had sent the um, whatever blueprints or drawings to have the part made, and instead of reading 90.25, they made it 92.5 was the first ones that came back. So they weren't supposed to be 92 millimeters. So your dad's really going down there in a 1835? Is he I don't know what crank was in it. I think it had a crank in it in the bus because we were towing the black 67 behind us on the way down here. Flat towing it on yes. a tow bar? Yep. And we got pulled over going up the grapevine for speeding. Towing. Pulling to, in a 68 bus, towing a bug uphill, you got pulled over for speeding. And the cop couldn't believe. He was sure it had a Porsche motor in the bus and couldn't believe. And him and dad and the guy was a car guy. The yeah. policeman was. They actually unhooked the car and me and mom and brothers stood by the side of the thing when gene took the cop for a ride in the bus hold on so this car this 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 pullover turns into like no no i'll hook this thing let's go for a ride in the bus yep. really yep. wow <laughs> i mean that, that, so your dad was like jovial enough and friendly enough to like not be mad about getting pulled over like oh no i'll show you how fast this thing is guys like, i just can't believe it and he's like well you're gonna get in and believe it right so and mentality was a lot different in 69, you know, sure. it was the summer of 69 when we moved down here. And so what was it like for you coming here? So you, you, your impression is you guys were coming here for what? For dad's business, for the, you know, continuation of what he had started up there. So it was the thought like, hey, look, Southern California is really where the VW thing is going off. We really should be there. There'll be a lot more business. We can have make a better living for our family. He had came down a few times before, mm-hmm. um, you know, we went to the bug in uh, down here before we moved here. And I think Gene had gone to everyone, you know, of the bug ins. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it was two or three is when we moved down here. So, um, you know, the conversations i think were with dean about um you know 
hey, we can do this and we, we can, can build something. something that, correct. And, you know, wanted to come down and be a part of what they were doing. And, you know, Gene had been down when Dean was working at Empy before Dino Dinosaurs and did some, and I think mom's got scrapbooks with some articles in Hot Rod Magazine with Dean and Gene and them at Empy doing, uh, I don't remember, to be honest, but right. doing some kind of articles that they had done back then. So him and Dean had quite a relationship. And, you know, Gene had made the first close ratio gears in the car that we had up there. And from what I remember, they were hand cut gears hold and on, they were so on. loud and so <laughs> noisy. Like they're straight cut. They're straight cut gears. Yep, I believe so. So what's crazy for me is like for me, it's hard enough to wrap my mind around building an engine. You're telling me Gene built engines, transmissions, like whatever it was, he could figure out how to build it? He made the five-speed original kit mid-60s. Really? And that was one of the big things that Dean wanted to do was produce the five-speed. And I think that was one of the big reasons they were trying to get Gene down here was for Dino Dinosaurs to produce and make the five-speed. Now there was also a isn't there a Mickey's five speed or something out of the out of the Washington area? There was another five speed manufacturer. I'm wondering if there's if there's any connection to like them kind Don't of know. copying Gene stuff. Don't know. I, I know there was the Mickey's one. Yeah. But uh, I don't know the history or I don't know much about it. So So, so Gene came up with the five speed in the mid sixties. Yep. Wow. And so he built he had a pro did he have a prototype in the bus? No. The, so no. It, just in the bug. Not sure. I don't know that he ever actually drove it around or made it, but the idea or the concept he had. Right. And I know there was a, an original intermediate housing that was from the prototype back in the day. Don't know that it ever made it in a car back then. And so the first time, the first, so like dad keeps going for work to this bug in or that bug in or whatever the case is. When's the first time you get invited along or you're able to go? And are you just like. <laughs> actually, it was their second trip down, the first trip. They came down. We stayed with uh, mom's uh, Uncle Wes and Larry, mom's brother and his wife. And um, I guess I was a little kid and cried in the whole time they were gone. So the second trip, they brought me with them. But oh, really? I don't think Doug and Gary didn't come, just me, because I made such a ordeal <laughs> the time before when they were gone. So, unfortunately, <laughs> that was the first time I'd come down with When them. do you first go to a bug-in and like, man, I really dig this. This is cool. Volkswagens are cool. Like, did you like... Always. I mean, because essentially, it's like you're you're like... In Southern California, where this is such a big deal, it's like when you're at your high school age, it's like Gene Berg Enterprise has got to be like the place. But it's like the Cadillac of places. You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's I mean, a lot of people that make a lot of other stuff. Right. So when when do you get a realization like, wow, our our, our family's kind of got a, a special thing going here? When do you I mean, how old do you when you kind of figure that out? I don't know that there was like some, you know, awakening sure. that, you know, it was like this light switch that went off. You know, I, I always knew that, um, you know, what dad did was special, you know, that what he did, he was dedicated to. And, you know, his beliefs or motto with us, if you're not going to do it right, you don't do it at all. Plain and simple. There, don't do it if you ain't going to do it right. Yeah. And heads, because that's your specialty is yep. doing heads. Yeah. When, how old are you when you start, when you do your first set of heads? Uh, 14, 14 years old. 
And are you wanting to do that? Or Gene's like, hey, I'm going to teach on the heads today. No, actually, uh, he gave us all a choice of <laughs> if there was something we wanted to do specifically. There. Really? Yeah. And uh, Gary was kind of like, I don't think he was officially the shop foreman. There was somebody that was in that, bit, but he was basically did everything in the shop. So and Gary could run any piece of equipment. Absolutely. Do any job, any yeah, everything. How much older is Gary than you? Um, six years, seven. I don't know. Fifty-seven. So four years, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think he's 57. So yeah, four years. And so, so it, anyway, Gene asked, yeah. if, you know, um, if there was something we wanted to do and I had actually, I don't know, a month or two earlier, uh, was tuning up my motorcycle. We used to go to Saddleback Park mm-hmm. and ride every Sunday. So I had a Honda 70 and I wanted to make it faster and I'd taken it apart to, you know, hone the cylinder. Anyway, dad said I could port it. So I, that was my first ever thing that I ported was my Honda 70. Did he, did he kind of like, okay, here's what you want to look for when you're porting and he's kind of coaching on what to do. A little. Yeah, definitely did. This is what you want to try and achieve, you know, and he kind of gave me some pointers on what to do and. And I'll never forget, I was doing the manifold, and I broke through the outside of the manifold. I was porting it so big, uh, and Dad had to weld it up and fix the thing, and and uh, we got it all done. And the Honda 70s, me and Doug had matching bikes. Um, right. Actually, Dad had got them from, it was a couple that won them on the newlywed game. No way. And Dad had bought them for us for Christmas. And so that was our Christmas. We both got the Honda 70s. And uh, anyway, so Doug had a matching bike. Well, the first trip we go out and I went to uh, S&S Headers in Santa Ana with that. And they made a, a straight pipe, you know, with a bow or a silencer thing on the end of it. Really? For my bike. And we went out and the first time we got side by side with Doug. His stock one kicked the shit out of my ported big, big port, big exhaust. So you're like, I'm going to crush my big brother. I'm going to show you what's up when we get out there. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And it's just like, so what did what lesson did that teach you about head porting? Bigger isn't better. Bigger isn't better. It was pretty simple. And that's a pretty huge, uh, a a, a pretty huge thing in the world of heads because that's really the motto for everybody. Like bigger, bigger, more flow, more. And everybody thinks more volume, more flow, which is two different things, right? Correct. Now, when do you first start? So you start porting heads at 14. When do you kind of get a name for yourself doing heads to where other people in town that are doing heads are like, because Gene's not a go hang out with the fellas kind of guy. Yeah. Gene's a family guy. Like, what his work is at five o'clock, he's going home. No, he didn't. Or, He'd stare all night. Most oh, really? Of the time. Yeah. So he was yeah. like full blown workaholic. Like, absolutely. Just absolutely. committed to it. Yeah. And, you know, we stayed at the shop too. But, you know, at five o'clock or whatever, when work was over, you know, we get on our bicycles and go right around the neighborhood and terrorize the neighborhood and, you right. know, hang out. So, but they were always there at the shop and, um, you know, that was the thing we had to be within hollering distance. So if they came out and called for us, we better darn, darn well hear him because he's ready to go home. And it's now not when you're ready to go home. So, right now. so yeah, we, you know, hang out in the area. And, yeah. Now, who was working in the head shop? Because a lot of there's been a lot of people that have worked at Jeanberg Enterprises yeah. that really kind of cut their teeth in the VW world, maybe got started there, did a little bit of this and yeah. then moved on. Who was working in the head shop when you start in the head shop that you can remember or notables that you can remember? 
Well, you know, I mean, I remember a lot of people that worked in the head shop, but the uh, shop that was on Lemon Street in Orange originally, if I remember right, I think the guy's name was Floyd Rowland mm-hmm. is the one that was doing it to begin with. Okay. And then uh, Ron Fleming and Greg Aronson started working there. And I know that Ron started working and doing the heads in the uh, head shop there at the old shop. How old were they when they're working there? Like early twenties, absolutely for yeah. sure. Yeah. So they're 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 younger guys just kind of getting in the hobby. Yes, is that before they were working at the dealership or after? I do. You, you don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. I I couldn't tell you the chronological. So order Fleming and Aronson both work for Gene Berg. Yep. And yep. in my opinion, if you can work for a guy like a Gene Berg. You might think like if you're as like, man, that guy's freaking harsh, right? That dude's that dude will part your hair if you're not doing things right. But I think when you walk away, you really walk away with a lot of knowledge because you're on the team. And when you're on the team, you got to be part of the team. So you get to know everything like this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And I want it done this way. And here's what would he tell you? I want it done. Or would he say, I want it done this way. Here's why. This is why you're doing that would he explain the why to you or he would just say this is the way it's going to be done both yeah he didn't always but if you were curious or you wanted more information he was always happy to explain it in more in depth if you wanted to so he was a guy like if you if you if he could see you had a natural interest in something he'd give you all the information you needed sure because that's that's kind of what him and dean had in that relationship right absolutely like he's in seattle racing yep Dean's down here racing and they're kind of swapping information back and forth. Like, Hey, like we're two guys, both love this hobby. I, I see you're making a name for yourself up there. I see you're making a name for yourself down here. Hey, have you tried to work on this? How about that? And then there, there becomes this kinship of Volkswagens, right? We're like, Hey, we're the underdogs at the drag race strip. You know, the V8 guys laugh at us. What did you do? I did this and I did that. And so do you think information was always exchanged evenly? I can't speak to that, you know, personally. I, I don't know. I, I believe that it was, that they right. did share information and, you know, told each other what they were doing. And, and you know, like you said, to make it better uh, for both of them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like they were trying to hide secrets from each other, anything like that. So I believe that they always shared information, definitely. But And then, De- so, so Gene comes down here to work. Yep. And how long... Is, is is Gene and Dean in business together? Um, it wasn't very long, actually. I think about six months or so that he was at Dean uh, at Dino Dinosaurs before mm-hmm. he parted ways on that. And what's your what did you ever ask your dad? Like, hey, what's your story? Why did you do what you did? Or well, I, I did you do, did you kind of know what was going on? Yeah, we kind of knew what was going on. That. Um, I, from what I remember, and this is what I remember, sure. is that uh, uh, Gene caught Ken stealing from the company. Oh, wow. And he said, they, you know, hey, I can't be a part of this. You know, this is a big lie and blah, blah, blah. So I believe that was the reason that he left, you know, Dinosaurs was because of Ken. And so what was your dad's, like, what was his mindset in starting his own business? Was he like, I'm more than happy to start my own business. I'll, I'll just do my own thing. Well, he already had. Because you know, he, he was up there on his own, right? Was the name was the name of the shop Geneberg Enterprises up there? Or what no, was the name? Gene's Jeans uh, uh, Service and Manufacturing. Gene Service and Manufacturing, and he did a little bit of everything. He serviced a lot of cars, but he was making his. He had a foundry set up in the garage. 
we were casting parts and making pieces. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. That's he was casting stuff, and you know, once he got what he wanted, and, and I think it was mainly just prototype stuff. Mm-hmm. Once he did, he made a pattern, and there was a company called Riverside Foundry up in Washington that did a lot of the original casting, the manifolds, uh, Solex forty P eleven, which is now the idf also it goes both ways on that right. uh, manifold that was all up in seattle and then uh, the, the original short 48 manifolds that was originally made all up in seattle the, now those and man- the sump the universal manifolds well they you know sell it with either it used to have both bolt patterns when they were manufactured right. but they quit doing that and they either make it a 40 p11 bolt pattern or uh, uh the idf weber bolt pattern so all that stuff was made in the foundry up there. Was made by him in the shot. And then, and then yes, he, he said, took like it he to had them foundry. make it. He said, this is my prototype. Yep. I need you to make that for yep. me. Oil sump too. He was the first one that made an oil sump. Really? Made up there in Seattle before anyone else. Yeah. And was, your dad was big on collecting data. Like he would, he had, because ga- I remember he, in his book, he said something about gauges. Gauges don't work worth a squat. And he kind of had, I think a lot of that actually came from a guy named Bill Fisher, uh-huh. a company called HP books. And he did the, how to hot Roger V dub mm-hmm. back in the seventies. And Gene spent months and months with him doing testing on the dyno, running product, running different carburetors, lots of gauges on them. And in doing it, I think they had a gauge fail. Mm-hmm. And then they bought another gauge to replace it in different manufacturer. And then all of a sudden it was so skewed that he's like, something's going on here. So they started checking the gauges and from one gauge manufacturer to the other, there was 60, 80, you know, degrees difference from one to the other. So there really? was no Bureau of Standards for or regulation. So, you know, that's why Gino always said it's good for a day-to-day comparison if you know what yours running at. Right. And now all of a sudden it's way different on the gauge. So, but don't don't bank on the gauge being right. accurate. Now that was early seventies, and that doesn't mean that gauges aren't accurate now, or right. that they're you know. We're just talking about the technology then, and, right. and and the technology even the General Motors cars was fairly crude according to technology that they have today. Yeah. yeah correct. So. Gene starts the shop in the beginning of the shop when he's doing that you're fairly young so is it tough for them to get the shop off the ground because he's from Seattle doesn't have because like when you have got a business let's say you got a business of mechanic repair and you've got a steady stream of customers coming in there's the mechanic repair business that offsets your testing and R&D and all that stuff right certainly so in the beginning is it is it kind of a struggle for him to get off the ground or was Gene fairly rolling fairly quick in the beginning not that I was aware of but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean there wasn't yeah. You know, as a kid, you just know about. Right. What's hitting the table. Right. Yeah. Going to school and, you know, clothes and that kind of Still thing. Still got so, Cheerios and shoes on your feet. So things right. are good. Right. So if there was any struggle, I didn't know about it. Yeah. So we were talking about people that worked in the fab shop yep. or people that worked in the head shop. And then uh, we had uh, Fleming and Aronson. Yep. And then who else? Who else has come through the doors of Gene? Um, there, there was another guy, Bob Albano, that um, did some head work for a little while, but he ended up. I think it was very short lived because he was doing crankshafts and he became really good at doing the, you know, counterweighting the cranks and then uh, doing the submerged arc arc welding to stroke the crank. So he became the crank guy. And then um, 
I can't remember the other guy's name. There was one other one, but I don't remember what his name was. It was also doing heads. And that was all on the Lemon Street before they moved to Lime Street. Now, as you start working on heads, when do you become like the guy that's like, no, we're just going to have Clyde do it. Like Clyde, like you start becoming the main, the main head guy. Well, you know, when I was 14, the first set I uh, first set of heads that I did was for a customer order to fill an order. So it wasn't like I got to practice on a set for my car or for sure. something that they it was going out to a customer. And dad, you know, made sure they were done right. There was nothing, you know, obviously he wouldn't let it go out if there was something wrong with it. So after that, I was doing all the stock valve port and polish and the 40, 35, 5, 40, 37, 5 uh, non-welded heads. And Gene was still porting all the welded heads. Now, you guys would take stock head. Your dad only likes stock head castings. Is that, I mean, for street for street driven cars. The only other thing there was at that time was um, Epco, which was of a really shitty quality alloy. And they ran hot and had all kinds of issues. And well, cracked. yeah, they cracked and they, you know, wasn't a good material that they were made out of. So you guys would take the, the stock heads and big valve them. Yep. Now, yep. a big valve, a set of stock heads, because the valves are very close. Yep. Do you now have to weld up the guides and move the guides over to go no. bigger valves? No. So there's enough room yeah. to get all that in there. Yeah, you could put a 40, 37, 5 without, you know, welding or relocating anything. Um, and 40 was about as big as you could go with the stock plug hole location. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you went anything bigger, you had to relocate the plug hole and get it away from the seat and even a 40 millimeter valve like um i learned if you were uh like at the races and the motor was hot and you pulled the plug to do a plug reading and you put it back in and you tighten it up too tight you could actually mess up the valve job because the plug was so close to it that would actually pull the seat when you were tightening the plug up oh wow so you know even the 40 you should have relocated it but it really wasn't you know most people weren't pulling the plugs when the motor was hot right you know so it really wasn't an issue anywhere except when what what i was doing at the time but yeah so all the anything above 40 we welded and relocated the plug hole normally that meant that you were welding above the port um and then there was other things that we added to that over the years you know we started welding below the ports because a lot of times there's a little um porosity holes above the valve guide area when you welded it and for a long time you know or at least for me it took me a little while to realize that those actually leaked out the bottom of the head really so there was always intake leaks that i was unaware of so yeah i'm sure there's some out there that had leaks that we didn't know about but, uh, but just all trial and error so so when you looked at berg we looked at the bird i remember looking at the bird catalog in the in, in the you know late 80s early 90s like the first time i see the bird catalog and i'm like man this stuff seems expensive and it was ex- it, it was expensive compared to when you open the catalog and it's like cylinder heads 199 a pair or whatever the case is and i think your guys heads were probably a few hundred bucks a piece yeah or something like that looking at that as like from from my standpoint i was like oh yeah well the gene berg stuff's really expensive and man are you really gonna pay double the money for smaller valves you know what i mean yeah how much time would it take to do a set of heads to take a stock set of heads and 40 35 five of those heads back in the day depends <laughs> but i mean it's, it's hours of labor oh absolutely but 
uh, I said it depends kind of jokingly yeah. because uh, it depends if I was getting paid by the hour or if I was getting paid by the job. So did your dad split your, like sometimes he'd pay you by the, like I'll pay you by the heads or I'll pay you by the. For a long time, I was an hourly wage. And then after a little while, I went on to commission where I got paid for the work I did. And so how did you temper doing what, because I, he made the expectation crystal clear what's expected of the heads. And he says, okay, Clyde, let's see what you can do. I'm going to pay you X per head and we'll see how many we'll, we'll and they they better be the same standard and let's see if we can get some production out of you. Absolutely. And so what there was a flow bench, you what, could flow them and you, you would know right off the bat if it was good or not. Good. There was, when, there was when, no hiding from the flow. When bench. you switch to, to getting, um, performance compensation we'll call it <laughs> how many sets of heads are you what's how long does it take you to do a set of heads about a day to do one, one. day to do a set of heads yeah. i mean that, that and maybe that's what people don't really realize it's not just the day right now when we say that like a stock valve port and polish i could do in a day where you remove the guides port and polish it reinstall the guides valve job you know cut for dual springs shape chambers sure or no we're cut. talking a set of heads like a, the set of heads that you're paying a couple hundred bucks a piece for yeah yeah but you know like a big valve one we would usually do a production run of installing seats so i had you know 10 sets in there that the seats were in so it would take me a day to do those but some of the work was already done before i started right like you've got to you, so you've got to take the seats out put new machine it for new seats and then press the new seats in. Yep. And then you like, you've got to weld it up and then re and then redo all that. Like what's, what's in the process to do a set of, to do a set of big valve heads on stock casting. Um, well that it would start with, uh, knocking the fins out so you could weld them up, you know, Hold so it's like knocking the fins out. Yeah. For, you know, back then the Oh four Oh casting, you had to knock the fins out, uh, around the top of the, you know, intake manifold area oh, and the, fins the sides were... on it. Right. So that you could fill that back in with weld. And then, like you said, we started welding bottom. So you had to knock out the square, the fins and the square on the bottom that you were going to fill in also. So and just then... welding. So you got 10 sets of heads. <laughs> it's going to take you a full day to do 10 sets of heads just to do step one. Yeah. So really a set of heads, it's going to take you a week to do a production run of a set of heads. Yeah, but I, you know, it, that's kind of confusing because, you Go know, ahead. I mean, like, uh, you know, I'll forget Gene took a blank set of bare castings and welded them, put plug or uh, seats in them, relocated the uh, plug holes, port and polish and match manifolds and had them in the car. And they went to Ascot racing that night. In a day? Less than a day. Wow. So And, and believe it or not. Those heads were the ones that were on Gary's original streetcar. It was built for Johnny Johnson's uh, Ascot car. Yeah. And uh, later on, that ended up being Gary's motor. That so today, he, those heads are on that car. I don't know if the Yeah, I think they are still them. Now, they've, you know, had a lot done. I put aluminum guides with bronze wall helicoils in them years ago. And so a lot of things have been done over the years to them. But I believe, yeah, it's the original set that Gene did the... I call them the one day wonders. So, and I've done a set like that. Also. But Gene is like, when Gene worked, was Gene super efficient when he worked? Was he unbelievable? Like he would come out, you know, I said he did the big valve stuff. He would come out and, you know, just kind of like show me how you could do it. He could do two stock valve port and polishes in one day. 
And back then, it was mirror-finished, buffed-out, polished ports, not just flapper-wheeled. I mean, he went, you know, like 80 grit, 150, 320, and then rubbing compound on a Brillo pad and polished them, shiny polish. So Gene and two would be sets like, in one day. Because sometimes I think you get, you know, all of us look at the boss and say like, yeah, you know what? Maybe you're not as fast as you think you are. You don't know what it takes to do these heads, old man. And yeah. then he's like, I'll show you what it takes to do the heads. And he just comes out there and just bang, Whoops. bang, bang. Absolutely. So he was super proficient in most things that he did. Yeah. If he got into so. it. Yeah. If Gene got into something, did he just get all in, like over the top all in? Always. No yes. matter what it was. Yeah. What's the craziest thing that they we get not in folks really that he got into that you're like man this guy just went all in on something like that like Osborne computers really yeah what's the story with Osborne computers it was one of the first computers that came or whatever but yeah totally got into it ended up being a dealer and did service and repair on them and so out of the out of the shop he was also doing computer stuff too yeah for a while so like his brain just was constantly working on doing stuff yeah. That's incredible. And then him and a guy named Andy Nebel took the Osborne computer and made a um, uh, basically a CNC for our lathe and hooked it up to stepper drive motors and and actually could, you know, it was a point to point. I don't mm-hmm. know that it cut on the path in between, but it was a point to point setup. And, you know, that was our, you know, some of the Before early the CNC and, stuff was out. Yep. Yep. He was always thinking like, man, how could I take this and make things more efficient? Right. And Andy and him had been friends, you know, since we lived in Seattle. And Andy was, uh, well, he invented the compression release on the motorcycles. Really? Yeah. He had something to do with making those originally. He was one of the original. And then he made the first machine that could bag kitty litter. So, you know, him and Gene were friends. Like had an inventor's mind. Just didn't look at everything at face value. Like always looked at it. And like, and you're just looking at your dad like, man, when do you turn it off? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're just a kid. Like, I'm trying to have fun, man. Like, you're all business all the time. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And Gene loved to have fun, too. Yeah. Uh, he loved, you know, driving, road racing. Did he ride a skateboard like they have pictures of him on a skateboard? Well, that was our, you know, skate. And yeah, he'd jump on it and go for a ride, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. He could actually ride a skateboard, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the one in Orange County with yeah. the safety whatever instructions behind it the sign yeah 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 that was at orange county down by the scales yeah so you start doing heads at that time you know i talked to um lonnie reed he said he was one of the few guys that had a a machine um you just talked about it why well, can't I think of it right flow now bench. a flow bench yep. yes yep. he said he's one of the first guys that had a flow bench here on the west coast sure and when that flow bench came around, did you start like, hey, we want to go check out that flow bench. Let's go see what our – I mean, if someone's got a flow bench, right, it's one of those things like, hey, we're all underdog VW guys. I got this flow bench. Let's see whose heads flow the best. Let's see who – I mean, were you ever involved in any of that kind of stuff where you guys would get together with some of these guys and I, – I had gone stuff? to Wani Reed's shop and, you know, uh, used his flow bench. Actually, I went with uh, Chris Klingerman and Dan McGrath. Mm-hmm. We'd kind of been hanging out with them. They actually went to uh, – Seattle with us for one of the Northwest bug-ins. We were all traveling up there, and we traveled uh, Chris and, and Dan. So 
I got to know him. And, you know, yeah, I ended up at Lonnie's shop on a Friday or Saturday night or whatever. And, yeah, we played on his flow bench a little. But, you know, Gene had a flow bench before that. So. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. yeah. Was Lonnie's a different type of flow bench? Yeah, his was a uh, CFM where Gene's has inches of water. So Got they it. were, you know, definitely different in the characteristics. And, you know, the guy that uh, made ours was a guy named Howard Washington. And he was an engineer. And he was a Volkswagen guy. And uh, a couple of funny stories about him. But anyway, he's the one that designed the flow bench for us. He also made one. So the that... flow bench Gene had was made specifically for Gene. Yes. It wasn't like a store-bought flow bench. Correct. Correct. Does that flow bench still exist? Yep. It's still at the shop. still there. Still works? No. Really? No. Doesn't. You guys moved into moved on to another flow bench. No, no, they, it just it, they've let it deteriorate. And the you know last time I was over the mom, the fluid that goes in the manometers it's changed from solvent based to water based, mm-hmm. and they let it sit in with the water, oh, and so it's it all like dried up. And I, you know I don't know if they're serviceable or still usable. Not sure. But so that machine's a one of one. No, there was I two. So did I th- the guy go into production two, after three. making them? No, but um, uh, Crawford Engineering, which was um, Roger Crawford and his brother. I can't think of the brother. He was here not too long ago. But anyway, it was Crawford Engineering. They had one that uh, Howard Washington built also. And then I'm not sure, but I think it was either Dick Nuss mm-hmm. and Duncan and Nuss that uh, they had one that he had put together. Or helped. I know Gene had loaned them his to, mono- to extra a- manometer so that they could get their flow bench up and going. And and that was back when they were doing the uh, Madness uh, Modified Compact uh, sponsored by Bill Taylor or Taco Modified Compact. So Now tell me um, about, you, you shared a story with me about over it. You, we, we talked about less is more in the head porting yes. of that. Yes. You shared a story with me about being at Lonnie Reed's shop. Oh, yeah. Everybody's kind of hanging out, and <laughs> we're just messing with heads on the on the head machine. Yeah, with the flow bench, and, and Ani, uh, Lonnie had a set of his heads there that were, I don't know if they were Chris's, but there was a big, you know, um, I, I don't want to call it a wedge port. It's like a big D port mm-hmm. or, you know, shaped, and... You know, we were talking and I kept telling, you know, that just, you got too many dead areas and, you know, oh, you don't know what you tie, you know. And how I old said, are you at this time? Uh, I think 16, 15, 16. <laughs> and how old those guys? Those guys are 10 years older? Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I asked him if, if I could play. Clyde showing up. Smart ass, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and he, you know, yeah. A 16 year old. Oh, this thing's got way too much room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I did. I, you know, asked him if I could mess around with it. And, and he had some clay and I clayed up the port and, you know, filled in the areas and that I thought needed to be filled in. And then he put them back on the bench and it actually picked up flow on the flow bench quite a bit. And we got ready to leave. And I'm like, oh, well, here, let me break it down. Oh, no, no, that's fine. You can just leave it laying right there. Don't worry about that. You know, so I think he wanted to take a look at what I actually did to the head before I, you know, took it all apart. So when so you realize that less is not more from your seventy your yep. seventy dirt bike. Yep. How do you? How does the evolution of heads start to go? Because drag racing is really what pushes the evolution of engineering for performance that we translate into street cars. Yeah. When like, how do you translate that? And how are you like? Is it just 
like testing each set of head. Like, I think this might work. Poured it, doesn't work. Head goes in the garbage. Like in the original days, yes, that was how it went. Was you tried it, you put it on the dyno, you run it, you see what it did. And you know, I was very fortunate to grow up around Gene, and you know, we spent all time at the shop. You know, it wasn't like we you know, went home and, you know, watch TV. Well, we did, but, right. you know, that was after we got home at nine o'clock at night, you know, it wasn't like we were there right after school or anything. And, uh, you know, so I got to see him work and develop head stuff. And, you know, in the early seventies, when we were still on Lemon street, uh, he was working on the baby Huey, which was, uh, Hugh Kelly's, uh, El gas sedan. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he wanted to, win the world championship that was his goal and he spent hours and hours on the dyno and on the port stuff and so i got to watch him do a lot of that and see you know a lot of the tests and what he did back then you know and you know running in the nhra the v8 philosophy was very different than the volkswagen philosophy Mm -hmm. and uh Everybody, the V8 people and everybody that Gene dealt with in the, you know, it was modified eliminator was the category was running, was telling him that, um, you know, the long rod was the way to go. And, uh, <laughs> and anyway, so a lot of people tell long rod, long, you got to put a long rod in the now, motor. Now for people, for some of our people that aren't engine builders, stuff like that, when you go larger displacement, when you go larger displacement, a lot of people go with a longer rod to change to change the maximum height point of the piston. What's the purpose for going longer, shorter rods? What's the th- original theory behind it? Less angle, less side angle on the piston. Well, definitely the longer the rod, the less side load on the piston. And you're is. trying to keep it going as in a linear motion as possible to avoid any side. Well, you know, load is friction. So you're trying to eliminate friction out of the motor as much as you can. So if it's got a lot of side load, then Mm -hmm. it's, you know, uh, taking away from the power because it's scuffing it or, you know, dragging it rather than just floating. So So he was doing tests on the long rods because the philosophy by everybody was like, the longer the rod, the better. Yep. So and it was um, a 78 by 88 motor that was in the baby Huey back then, slipper skirt 88s and a 78 crank. And uh, it had um, a Porsche rod, which is five inch uh, 350, I think, 352. And everybody kept telling him the long rod. So he took it apart and he put a long rod, like a 5.5 rod in the thing and no other change except the rod and put it back on the dyno. And the thing lost like 13 horsepower. And so now this is where Gene gets the bad the bad rep of like, yeah, Gene's just going to rain on your parade. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But Gene wouldn't say something if he didn't already test it and know the data. Well, but Gene was the kind of guy that went, okay, I'm doing something wrong. So he took that motor and he started playing with it. And he did a different set of heads and put on that motor to see if he could do something, you know, to, to make the power everybody was claiming you could get out of a long rod. And he found that a long rod liked uh, a bigger um, CC port. It liked a larger volume port than a short rod did. So, you know, he got it back. I think he got back about eight horsepower back to where he was with the short rod in the motor. But, you know, he wasn't content with that. He was determined he was going to figure out. And like I said, he spent weeks, if not months, testing to see. And and he made the first um, split port heads. And the original ones had the plug like a Type 4 down through the top of the... What's a split port head? 
Uh, he welded up the Type 1 head and moved the port out straight in line with the valve. So there was Hold on a second. An inch so you're and a talking a whole different intake, ma- a custom-made intake manifold because yep. you're moving the physical ports outward. Yeah. The ori- from- original ones right there is prototype sitting on the ground we're right gonna there. Get a, we're going to get a picture of you, me, and that. Right head. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about it. So Gene would weld it all up, yep. move the ports over. What did he find when he did that? The, about the bigger volume, that it liked the larger volume, but it actually lost power when he did this first sprint port. But he uh, welded up plug hole and put the plug back in the Type 1 location, back by the manifold, mm-hmm. and it got back in even more. So it had a lot to do with the location of the plug is why it didn't work on the original spread port head. Now, I would assume, in my opinion, the spread port head would maybe not be super viable because the amount of labor involved to do the split port head, not many people would be willing to pay for back then. True. So, I mean, how much of that do you think has affected the evolution of Volkswagens? Because obviously, everybody does everything. You know, everybody sees what someone's doing and kind of copies it a little bit, and then they get some great performance out of it, but no longevity. And then they like, well, we'll just lower the compression, make one for the street. And then it's failing miserably. Yeah. And you see it in today's day and age where people's heads are falling apart or cracking under boost and right. all, all kinds of issues. How much do you think people not wanting to pay or maybe the amount of work that goes into making a set of heads starts to push you out of the the VW world where it's like it starts out because we're all broke. Yeah. We all get Volkswagen. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I understand. And yeah. then we all start falling up this ladder and then we and then <sighs> and then we test taste that power. Yeah. And then that that that's what starts to drive us. You know what I mean? Do you think there's been a big impact on like maybe the the lack of consumer wanting to pay for it that made the demand not there? No. I don't. The you know, as far as that, those were uh, race specific and money really wasn't an issue when you were dealing with that kind of head. Right. When you're drag racing, going for a world title, it really doesn't matter. Yep. Whatever it takes. So what did but you, let me finish oh, about yeah, the, yeah. the motor with the 78 by 88. So Gene put the long rod, did the, you know, uh, different heads to try and get the power back. And then he ended up putting a uh, smaller lobe center cam in it. And then finally got back to what he had with the short rod combination. So he ended up going from a 108 lobe center to a 104 lobe center, and it finally got back to the power it made with the short rod. Really? So, But he, it narrowed up the power band. It was way up higher than it was before, and it you know didn't have the power down low. So he ended up going back to the short rod in the race car, and that was kind of the end of long rod as far as I know. And so th- that was his his thought, like, well, if you go to long rod, you have to do so much, you have to do so much reverse work to make the long rod work it's not worth it it's not worth the alleged gain that you're going to get yeah but there was things that i've learned since then Mm -hmm. that are definitely different from long to short like a um, a short rod requires a lot more valve to piston clearance that a long rod doesn't so with a long rod you can actually run a higher compression because you don't have to notch the piston as far oh gotcha so you can make up what we didn't know back, you know, it still had the same clearance as the short rod when it was yeah. a long rod back then. So, you know, he probably gave up a point and a half of compression that he didn't know he could get back. So there's pros and cons both ways. Sure. And, and I'm not saying that you can't make power with the long rod. You look at uh, people like Jack Shaketti, Sean Gears, all those guys are long rod people. 
and they make good power, damn good power with what they do. So, And a lot of people just get a turbo. That's absolutely what a lot of people do for sure. <laughs> I want you, so what, you know, and being a head guy and, and like your livelihood being the air cooled stuff, what's your take on turboed cars? I'm okay with it. Street cars. Mind. Would you, would you drive a turboed street car? I would drive it. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I've had a couple and I, I, I love them because I think if they're used correctly, like you have that turbo, like either just to kind of get in front of the guy that's trying to fight you on the on-ramp or whatever. I think, I think they're really viable. I like them and living in the desert. They're not the friendliest things with the heat. Right. 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 Yeah. But I think, I think the reality is if you're tempered and you're not 16, because when I'm 16, I'm running at max boost all the time. Don't care. Yeah. But as I get a little older, I think like, yeah, you know, if I had a turbo and I could just put 10 pounds of boost, six pounds of boost on it, make enough power where it's got the low end grunt, you know, and, and get that going. I really, I love driving turbo cars. Yeah. It's just the whistle and all that stuff. But right. I, I also get torn with this, this, the sweet sound of a set of 48s. Right on. You know? So in evolution of how things. I've never driven a car with a turbo, Volkswagen, air-cooled with a turbo on it. You've never driven one? Never driven one. Get out of here. Ever. What was your dad's take on turbos? Not reliable. Won't yeah. go 100,000 miles if you put it on. So even so, so his thought was like, we're not going to sell it because we sell stuff to regular people that build cars on the street. His commitment was it would last as long, if not longer, than the original part it replaces. I mean, that was Impy's original thing, right? With Joe Vitone and the guys that worked there was like, it wasn't their original thing. They had to because you're competing with brand new Volkswagens that are being sold that are sewing machine reliable. Like they run like a like a Swiss watch. Yeah. And so I don't think that's. I don't think they did it because they were, I, I don't want, I, I, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I don't think they were doing it because they were committed. They had to build something really well to make people buy it because the stock worked really well. And it's like, why would I get, why would I buy your replacement valve guides when VW says to throw them away, which is the, the beginning of Impy, right? That's the evolution of where Impy begins with the valve guides. Well, they didn't offer valve guides. They offered right. Volks- a replacement head. Volkswagen said they're garbage, throw them away. The head is garbage. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. that's kind of what put Impy on the map was yeah. making the replacement valve, valve guides, guides. Yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah, that's where it started. Originally. Right, right. Yes. yes. And then it became like, hey, people want to put power in these things. And we're, we're committed to make good, like quality parts because they're used to buying really well built things. Right. You know, so I think that was a necessity and then people just saw short dollars in it and started just making like whatever they could like you feel the power now who cares if it's going to last fifty thousand miles you know what i mean which is a really different filter to process things through than when you're looking at things like yeah you're going to get a ton of power on the dyno you're going to get four pulls and you're going to grenade the thing (laughs) you know what i mean yeah i I do i I learned that at a young age right i've seen a lot of that myself a guy guy built a motor for us in the neighborhood he's like yeah man i'll build you a motor man we're just gonna fly cut that thing take two fins off that thing it's gonna have power like you can't even believe man and it lasted like month yeah you know what i mean yeah like they they just don't like it And, and it's it's interesting because as time has evolved there's been compression changes Absolutely. In your opinion, what is a workable compression? I want, I'm Bill, nice to meet you. I like to have a street drivable car. What's what can I what's the recipe according to you to build a street drivable car that's gonna I can have fun with the track if I want to, 
but I can drive it for a daily if I need to. As far as compression yeah. ratio? It depends. I mean, there's so many variables to that question. But if I was doing something like that, I would probably recommend eight and a half to one. I'm going to come in and say, Clyde, do you do, you, do just heads or you build motors for people? I build motors also. Okay, Clyde, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. I like to get a motor. I want a motor to get in my car. I want to be able to beat on it when I want to, have a little bit of power. I don't want to get tired of it. What's what's your suggestion to me for a motor? What are you, blank, slank, blank slate? What are you building for me? Uh, probably a twenty three thirty two eighty four ninety four. Uh, you know, depending on now. Hold on. You know, Gene said on the long stroke like that, yeah. the side angle on the, don't go bigger than 90, 90.5 on the street because the walls are thin. Right. And then, so is this a motor that that? Do you believe with times of change that Gene would agree with this motor build for the street? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. Give me, finish your motor and we're going to get into it. Finish right. your motor. <laughs> 2332. Yeah, 2332. And, you know, depending on uh, drivability as far as it, what kind of gas mileage you'd want to get. I'm not concerned about gas mileage because then it's, we my, go it's, IDAs, my, 48 it's my IDAs weekend toy. On it. And I want it to be quick, so we're going to do a Berg five-speed. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So now, what parts and pieces we build this motor with? In your opinion, for I want decent reliability. I don't want to pull that motor out of this car until I'm tired of the car. Okay. So what motor? So what kind of what, – what do you have particular brands of stuff that you like? Like who, who are we going to for pistons? Who are we going to? Can we get stuff – is mostly everything available off the shelf, you think, in your opinion? Yeah. Yeah, most of it is. And, you know – like I said, there's so many degrees of variance to that sure. question. You know, I mean, depending on, you know, how often you want to dump the clutch would depend on if we're going to wedge mate the flywheel or not, you know, uh, depending on, you know, um, how far you're going to drive it. You know, if you're going to go from here to Vegas, Vegas and I back, wanna, I want to, I want to come visit you on the weekend every now and then we're going to have to add some kind of cooling besides the stock cooling on it. Dad was a, hold on, hold on. not a advocate of adding anything other than stock. Well, that's what I was going to ask you because <laughs> I was going to say that because, because on a 2332, if, if, if we're building a 2332, so are you, do you think you could reasonably build a daily drivable 2332? Let's say you say you're going to do 44s and yep. just run a stock cooler on it. Yeah, we could, but it would, it would dictate what compression ratio we put sure, in it. Sure. It would dictate what cam and rocker we put in it. So adding oil, because the big misconception is like adding oil is going to make your motor run cooler, which th there's, there's truth to it. And then there's, I mean, What's There's the truth to it if you're cooling the oil before it comes back to the motor. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so, is right. that the biggest mistake you see people do? They're not cooling the, they're not cooling it. The, they're just sending it to a cooler that's not getting airflow through it. So it's it's cooling it to a degree, but not much. Or, right. Or yes. people say, oh, it's full flowed, so it's it's like a cooler. Yeah, but that's not true. Right. Yeah. Right. I no. mean, so the the original cooler it, it can only produce so much cooling. Do you like the Type and Four cooler? Personally, on a Type 1 motor, no. I wouldn't put it on one if my life depended on it. Why? I believe, without changing the pressure release spring, that it bypasses that cooler. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? Because it has too much resistance with the extra passes through it, and the pressure release springs are designed to open up to go through the cooler at a specific resistance. Oh, really? 
and you're adding a bunch more resistance. So to you're the not getting you're you're almost getting too much volume in there, and it's not getting it's not giving it the signal to release the oil to open up the cooler. I believe that it bypasses it. Interesting. Yeah. So you so are you more of a fan of like a thirty six horse shroud, no back cooler, and two auxiliary coolers? I mean, I believe the uh, doghouse cooler is a lot more efficient than the non-doghouse right, myself. Right. But, but we're uh, building it. We, we're open checkbook here. Yeah. We can do – we don't have to do a dog – I mean, would you say throw a dog – there's no sense in not having a cooler doghouse cooler? Might I, as well put one plus auxiliary coolers? Correct. Okay. Something in addition to the stock one. Yes. Okay. Yep. And then with the – there was always the – I remember about the heavy-duty release springs because I was <laughs> – I read I've read the the manual a hundred times. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's like, yeah. Well, the bro, I fixed Gene Berg's bull crap about line yeah. board case. I just go get the big spring, man. That's Put all I do. Bandaid on my elbow for a sore on my knee. Right, <laughs> that, that's what he would say. Right, yeah. yeah. And, it would, and it's like it's so crazy because so many people would think like, you know, that's the solution. You know, someone's like, oh, you need more pressure, just get a heavier duty spring or, or a different bypass or a, or different this. And, and well, see, exactly what you just said isn't what Gene said, right? Because Gene never said it wouldn't run. Gene never said it wouldn't give you forty, fifty thousand miles. Right. He said it wouldn't go a hundred thousand miles. It wouldn't go longer than the stock part, right? So that's why, you know, he didn't do it, but. He did have a circumstance where the actually it was uh, Ron and Greg when they had fat and they were doing an off-road motor, came in to be serviced. They serviced the motor, put it back on the dyno, and it lost horsepower. They couldn't figure out what had happened to it. They kept going and doing all this thing, came over and talked to Gene. They said they line board the case. Gene said, get rid of the case, put a new case on it. Oh, there's no way that's it. And they did all kinds of stuff, finally put a new case on it and got all the power back. I didn't believe him about that. So as a kid in my Carmen Ghia, my street car, mm-hmm. I put together an 1835, 92s, big taboo no-no, right? And they actually were NPR, and they had NPR Dino cast into the cylinder. It was yeah. original Dino 92 from NPR and a line bore case. And, I, you know, from our house to the freeway was about two miles. And then it was like eight miles on the freeway until you got off to come to the shop and, you know, mile off the freeway to the shop from the house to the freeway. Peppy felt bitch and felt great. Got on the freeway, did the cruise. No problem. Got off the freeway first stoplight. You go to take off. Didn't have the power. It did coming down the hill to the freeway. What the hell's going on? And I never understood, but it was the 92s. They make good power when they're sealed up. As soon as they got hot, they didn't seal properly. And that was because of the thickness of the cylinder wall. They would actually distort and get out around so that they weren't sealing you'd properly. Get a little, you'd lose compression, essentially. Correct. Correct. You'd lose compression and increase blow-by. Mm-hmm. I have that happening in an engine right So now. when it was cold, it felt great. Peppy Monster. And, yeah. yeah. And so I had that in my car for years, right? And uh, drag day was coming up out at Orange County, so I wanted to freshen it up. And, uh, you know, it was getting tired. You could tell it didn't run as good as it did when I first put it together. So Saturday, right, Sunday's the race. Yeah. Saturday morning, I decide I'm going to freshen up the motor. So I take the heads off of it. I'm going to do a valve job and maybe port them a little because I'm a head guy now. Right. I can port my own heads, you know. And so I take the heads off and go to roll over, and it didn't roll over very good. I'm like, what's going on? So I take the cylinders off. Still doesn't roll over really good. 
pull the case halves apart. And when I pulled the case half, the crank was stuck in the half that I pulled off. It was not sitting in the one in the, you know, uh, engine Holy stand cow. anymore. It was because the line bore and Gene, you know, very nicely pointed out to me the test that he had done. And what he had did was line board a used case, put it in the oven, heated it up to 220 degrees or operating temperature, cycled a few times, went back over, put it in the line board, and it recut. So the material, once it cut, it's like a fresh skin. And once it heats up and cools off, it then would, I don't know, homogenize slightly, for yeah, a bit. So of- it would actually pinch the bearing is what it was doing. So it would run, go down the road just fine, but right. you didn't know the Dep- resistance that was going on inside the motor. And, and it depends on the duty cycles you're putting it through. Absolutely, like, like not and a- how you abuse it, yes. Yeah. It has everything to do with it, yeah. Because you're thinking about it, that, that, you know, when you say that, you know, now it makes sense that you're cutting line boring. In that case, it's a fresh skin on the inside, and the rest of it's that old skin that's been heated and cooled X amount of times beginning to end, and now you're... It's like a new piece trying to catch up to an old piece. Or you paint a fender and it doesn't match. It's never going to match until it gets to the age. And with the engine, you can't do that. Well, and I think that that was part of the chemical process on a stock case. I think they called it pickling or the, the gold in color mm-hmm. was a treatment that they did. So that didn't happen to a new freshly machined case. So all these little things the factory did that they already did their research on that the aftermarket world doesn't know about or doesn't pay attention to that they overlook and like... Oh yeah, just go get a thousand dollar line bore bar. I don't know how much line bore bar is. Five hundred bucks. Go get yeah, your line bore yeah. bar and save yep. cases for the rest of the world. Yep, we're recycling. Volkswagen says throw them away. Bah humbug. Right. right. We'll just keep using. You know, <laughs> and it, and it's and it's interesting to see what's been happening with the case, with the world of case drama. But yeah, let's we're, we got a little off topic because okay. we do this. <laughs> we finished my motor build for me. So oh. twenty three thirty two. Yeah. What am I running for heads? I, you know, I'm I'm pretty open on that. Either the CBO 44s or the MP GTV 2s. What if I got wedge parts? Are those good for the street? From uh, CB wedge parts. Oh, from CB? Yeah. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Okay, so CB wedge. Are they a little too big? Depends on application. Uh, Combination is Type 3 Gia Pancake? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> too big for, and can i get some d can i get some 40 uh some 44 uh dcnfs absolutely were they were they gonna make are they gonna run good on there or no yeah yeah you could make it rock there ain't anything smoother more broad power band than a dcnf a proper dcnf okay now we're gonna get into that because i gotta say I, I've, I've got <laughs> i i've got that one motor that we talked about that, yeah. that 1800 machine and piston dcnf uh motor it's got and it's got the machine mark across the back or a grind mark across the back of the the factory casting number okay on the dcnf telling me it's a berg special correct yep what did berg do to make a uh well who was doing that at the shop who was making the berg specials gene originally would do it i mean mean, then it got you know into it but you've done them gary's done them doug's done them like everybody would do them or just whoever's running the carbs side of things you, there was somebody, it was specific, their job. So it was whoever in charge at that time at the shop. But Gene did the original ones and the testing to make it work, to figure out what worked on it. But and what what's the process to do the specials, to make the Berg specials? Um, well, the main thing was to drill the progression circuitry to the right size, the mm-hmm. little holes in the side there on the, yeah. And the, I think it was a DCNF-9 mm-hmm. was the only one that had small enough holes that you could drill out to the correct size. 
a lot of the other dash eight, dash seven, dash five had different size progression holes and they were made for a specific car application. They were Fiat's and there was some Ford's that had them. And I think there was out of country stuff that had the DCNF's on them also, but they had huge, huge uh, holes in there for a specific application. So the DCNF nine was the only one that had small enough holes that you could drill out to the proper size. So Gene was a huge fan of those carburetors. Absolutely. Like he bought them, whatever he could find. I mean, that's yep. my first interaction yep. with your dad was I was at the Pomona swap meet selling some DCNFs and I'm like, dude, Gene Berg just bought some carburetors <laughs> off me. And he was like super unassuming. Yeah. Kind of walked over. I think he had his hands behind his back, just kind of looking around at my stuff, had that little fisherman hat on yeah, plaid shirt and some polyester pants pulled up a, a little too high. Okay. He's kind of looking <laughs> over how much you want for the carburetors. I said, I was like, I don't know, a uh, hundred bucks. I mean, this is like 1991, something right, like that. Right. And then I was just like, I can't believe it. He bought some DCNFs. And I'm thinking like, and then I thought after he bought them, like, why did I sell them if he bought them? Like, if he bought them, that means they're like good carburetors. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. And then, so since then, I've just, I've always ended up buying DCNFs whenever I see them, 40s and 42s, 40s right. and 42s. Right. Do you believe a 2332 in a pancake configuration, Yeah. CB wedge port heads? Yeah. Could you run it on forty-two DCNFs? Yeah, could, you could. Yeah. What about man? What about manifolds? Can you make that work with the with the manifolds yeah. and get that? Did they have shorts? Is yeah. the, is there enough beef on there to match the this the? Oh, you'd have to weld the face and the side of the manifold to match to that head. But yeah, there's not a problem doing that. That's it, pretty standard. Is it a big? Let, let's say I want to run the motor pancake. Yeah. Is if I want the most power, do I got to go tall, like tall manifolds and tall no. carbs? Or can can you get that power in a pancake motor? Well, you can get good power. I mean, you could get more power with a taller and a different carburetor. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's where you get into application and you're doing for a specific application pancake. So it's type three. So you want something short, fits into the deck lid, you know, in the type three. So so how, what, can, what cam am I using? Um, if we were going the 44 DCNFs and a wedge port, I would probably go with like a FK43. FK43? Where's that power or, band on that cam? Idle up to wherever the head's cut out. So we're doing, I mean, this is going to be a 5,500 RPM motor. Like we're not looking, uh, obviously we're not looking to go to seven. Well, the, the cam would. The cam can go to higher? Yes. Well, yes. Now, particularly on this motor that's been sitting for a long, long time. Ceramic lifters. What's your take on a ceramic lifters? Not a fan. What happened with the ceramic lifters? What was the well the um, what was the purpose first? Just for the lightweight? No, it was because that was when all the cam failures were going on in the mid nineties. There was just rash of cam problems. What was the cause of the cam failures? Um, the oil manufacturers and the EPA and the government pulling the zinc out. Yep. Really? Yep. That has that much of an effect on the cams. Yeah. Yeah. So people thought, well, let's do a lighter lifter. Well, no, the ceramic itself, it burnishes. It doesn't work the cam the same way. But, you know, the original ones were, um, gosh, I can't remember the guy. Joe was the guy's name. We met him at the PRI show in Reno. But uh, anyway, we were talking about the cam. So we were discussing with a lot of people at that time at the PRI, you know, Mandelo and a lot of people, V8 people, to see what. And he was doing um, 
I think it was Eagle One or something was the company. He was making some, you know, right. head or whatever. Anyway, he said that, oh, we can make this ceramic and blah, blah, blah. And, and we were like, let's do it. You know, let's see what it does. And we actually built a um, fixture to pre-run the cam and lifters at the shop before it was put into a motor. To so we took to a motor... Them that you know a long block and put a motor together put it into a thing with you know like a drill drive and just ran it spring lifters the whole thing correct it had a you know uh, electric motor on it we would run it for you know what well, we'd do 24 hours on it to make sure the cam and lifters were going to survive before we sent it to our you know uh customer because we wanted to sell reliable parts you know and at the time it was such a crapshoot whether the cam was going to break in or go bad that you know we were pre-running the cam and lifters before we sent them out and anyway we got the ceramic lifters and we put them on the fixture and we ran the thing for 24 hours to get apart and the cam lost six thou of lift really and we put it back in and we ran another 24 hours and it lost about three thou off the top of the cam and we put it back in and ran another, you know, 24 hours and then lost about a thou and a half off of it. So it was actually compressing the it material. Was harder, harder than the than the cam or the lifter heads getting smaller? The cam was compressing the That's lobe great. of the cam. It's flattening the cam, essentially. It wasn't. No. Cam it's just grinding beautiful. it away. No. It's just Looked absolutely beautiful, polished, shiny, nice, the nice gorgeous. Nice cam you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Looked great. But it was... Um, like compressing the molecules is what it looked like. Really? You know? So it was actually losing no lift. metal shavings to be found. Not, no, none of that stuff. No, no, was not deteriorating. So after that, we used ceramic lifters to burnish the cam before we put the regular lifters on them. So Just, we'd run them with the ceramic lifters for about 12 hours, then take it apart, put the lifters that were going to go with the order on it and run it with the real lifters after the cam was done. Oh, wow. So that's crazy. But the ceramic lifters, you know, lightweight bitching. So we had a couple of people that put them in the race cars, and the first guy that missed a shift, it, it just exploded. And then we had somebody else that over revved it, it exploded. Shattered. So, like, yeah. Like glass. Wow. So we didn't, you know. Needless to say, they don't make them anymore. I don't know. I don't like, uh, you know. I don't, we we like, were we got two sets. Yeah, all, you know. people aren't. Really, but it's not. It's not. And, a thing and when we didn't today. take them from the guy because the guy thought, oh, this is the cat's meow. He made sets without an order from us, thinking we were going to find these to be great. And I think that's why he had a bunch that got sold and got out. He's he like, yeah, Gene Berg, the leader in camshafts and all that stuff, engine parts, is wanting these. I'm going to make 100 sets. And then next thing you know, like you guys didn't call him. Like no, we thanks. did. We took the two and like no, you're like we can't do it trash can those it wasn't like i said we used yeah. them in the break-in fixture for a long time well yeah time. but they weren't used for the purpose of yeah running in a motor right right yeah so with that motor um well obviously weld up the fan yes so the fan stays together yes we yeah. go in, we go in a full weight flywheel <sighs> slightly lightened i would lighten it and i well because type three it had the front yeah I mean, if it was a full weight, full car, yeah, I'd take a little bit, not much off of the flywheel. Yeah. A couple of pounds. So you're, so, so you really think, I mean, you can put any kind of combination together, get reliability out of it. Just, you gotta, the, the problem, the blessing and the problem, blessing and the curse with the Volkswagen world is there's too many dang combinations. It's not like yeah. a shit. You got it with the LS, you got the LS one, two, three, four, ten, done. Yeah. And they're all just everything's the same except for boring stroke right 
And with VWs, it's like you go 19 different ways from Sunday and the quality parts we can get today are not there. Correct. How hard is it to get like a good set of bearings? Not hard. Bearings aren't that hard. Bearings are decent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got to know what your application again is, you know, for what you're doing. And, and, you know, um, my dad was a big believer in the Porsche rod bearing uh, cranks. And that was because of the strength of the crankshaft. It had, you know, uh, thinner bearings so that it had more cross-sectional strength in the crank. So that was one of the biggest reasons he ran the Porsche Journal was for the strength of the crankshaft. But a Porsche Journal, you can only get it in a soft-backed bearing or a Babbitt backing on the bearing. Mm-hmm. Whereas like a Chevy bearing, you can get a steel-backed bearing. So a steel-backed bearing will you know, stand up to more abuse than a soft-backed bearing what do you think that what do you think the VW industry like if you could say the VW industry needs these things what were what would those things be to, to, to be able to deliver for you to make your life easier doing your part of what you do I don't know I hadn't really thought about it before <laughs> but, but I mean like what, what's your biggest challenge in what you do is like just fixing bad stuff that you get that's brand new and just trying to make it right or taking people's old, I mean, are, are you, you kind of specialize in taking people's existing stuff and dialing it in? I fix a lot of people's stuff that, you know, was done by other people that, you know, some of it's blown up, some of it just didn't work right. But, um, I do quite a bit of that, but, um, I, I think that, you know, yeah, it's probably only like 40% of what I do. You know, what, the, what's the main thing that happens down here at Clydeburg heads? I mean, obviously it's head work, but what's, What's your bread and butter stuff that you do the most of? Service and repair. Fixing the blown up stuff. So someone and, sends and, you a set of heads. Rebuilding, you know, guides, valve job, and that kind of thing. Yeah. What's a set of heads run to get run down here? To valve job? Yeah. Right? About average, I'd say, is about five five fifty for a pair. Five fifty for a pair of heads. To refurbish them, new guides, you know, valve job, surface. What heads... If someone sends you like, man, I'll send you these heads back and you'll be blown away. What's the heads that you can do the most magic with? <laughs> like if someone sends you, you got all the heads out there, aftermarket heads, whatever. And someone says, oh, I got some, some of these and some, or some of those. You're like, send me those. You'll be impressed when I send them back. I, you know, I, any of them, you know, as far as the like biggest change with the least amount of work, yeah. I would say the Fumio heads. Oh, really? He, he never bolted the manifold and head together, so they were never matched well. I mean, they, they were exact same shape, but you bolt them together, they weren't the same angles a lot of times, you know. And, man, you bolt the manifold and head, reach through there with the, you know, die grinder with a long bit and do them as one unit, as one piece and put it. Holy crud, man. Oh, port, port match those. You would be shocked. Really? Charge a guy a hundred bucks and he goes out and he picks up three tenths at the track. Like, holy crap, what'd you do? You know, I guess I should have charged you more. So right, I did. Right. I undercharged you. a thousand dollars a tenth. Yeah. A thousand bucks. This is our new business. Now we're partners. Right See, I just did that. I just got us <laughs> okay. <in> partners. <laughs> How many sets of those Fumio heads are out there? There's not a lot. Not as there. many anymore. I, you know, 70s, 80s, I, I had a lot of them. Come like through. they, that guy made. Now, when you say Fumio, you're talking about the heads that have the, the, the sleeves with the flange on the exhaust? No. No, those no. are the straight race heads. Well, those were special, and there was only a couple of sets of those made. But Fumio redid a bunch of other heads. Fumio did the Type 1 head just like what I did for years, and a, n- a number of big drag race Volkswagen guys swore by Fumio heads. 
And he never, he never match ported the manifolds. But they hauled ass. He made very good quality, very, you know, uh, fast cylinder heads that he sold. They, they were great. Really good. I could improve upon it a little bit. No, that's awesome. You know, and, and engine building, stuff like that. You do all that too. Sure. He wants a motor built. Yep. Yep. Nice. Just don't be in a hurry. Yeah, just, I mean, you got you got you're you're on you're on a you're on a limited time that you're putting in, and uh, you're doing what you can and getting. Done. I mean, you're one man operation. That's my br- it. My I, brother's that way, and he yeah. he does top quality work, but he can't find any good help, and he's maybe a little too honorary to help him, <laughs> or right. to kind of yeah. help him see what they should already know. Yeah, and uh, the world's changed as far as those type of people, but uh, yeah. Man, we got so much to talk about. Well, this is going to be a first installment of many because, okay. <laughs> be, well, because we got a lot of we got a lot of history to cover. We got we got to talk about. I'd like to talk about the first time that you go overseas and you start to see like what's going on overseas with yeah. with the VW world. Right, right. Yeah, you that know? was a real honor and a privilege. What year did you? What's the, what's the first year you go out of country to go to go to a big VW event? Um, after Gene passed away, so would have been 97 was the first year I actually went out of country to do. They had me do a, a tech seminar at the, um, uh, spa in France. No, uh, Australia. Um, oh, I know what the, they do a one big VW show over there. I was just talking to somebody. Yeah. 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 And, and that was a blast, man. And had but Gene gone overseas that, before? He went a lot. He Did went, he? and he had done the event there with them quite a few times. So yeah, and and amazing, just incredible amount of people, and and it's at a a resort, you know. So you come in the camp, but you know, the one day they do what they call the cane across, so it was an actually off road race out on the uh-huh. dirt, and then they do a, a slalom race, and it's a a go kart track that they do just single car timed you know laps on yeah. the thing and i got to do that and, and do the off-road run and there was a guy uh jeff unwin mm-hmm. who uh was a you know berg supporter and his you know race car had all berg i mean it had a set of my heads and you know berg crank rockers idas and a buggy but um it was set up for slalom racing and uh, a hill climb a long you know hill climb thing so yeah. the front end was widened a foot from stock from the back end from the back end. So the front end was a so foot like, wider. Looked like a tractor going under the reverse of a tractor. And it was something to do with the way it handled, I don't know, the whole end thing. But on a little go-kart track, yeah. the thing, it was kind of not quite the same, you yeah, know. A and, different characteristic. And it was funny. It was like, oh, yeah, let's let's go race or whatever we get. It's right-hand drive. I've never raced a right-hand drive. The first time I drove, I left. Dro- I drove right-hand car. Was in the parade through the city that morning. I got to drive. They called the candy car that morning. It was like, oh yeah, I can do this. You know, at the other hand, and it was funny. I actually think I was a lot faster upshifting with my left hand than I am with my right. That's funny. But I had a heck of a time trying to downshift because it's down, over, and away from you to get back into second. So that was really tough to do. But now when. When you go overseas and places like that, what what's it like when I'm sure people all the time are like, hey, man, would you sign this? Would you sign that? Like it gets kind of like the first time that that, that starts happening to you is, is kind of weird. I Yes and no. I yeah. mean, it was a little strange for somebody to ask you like that. Like, you know, I'm not anybody special. What do you want my right, address right. for, you know, or my signature? And But, you know, it's an honor at the same time for somebody to ask you something like that. It's like, yeah. wow. Uh, 
yeah, I'd be honored to sign. What do you got? You know, I did. Yeah, it was really something else. Now your drag car. Yep. That you had. What's the What's the story? The origin story in the drag car. My original car, mm-hmm. uh, the first one, which was a '65. The well, both of them were orange and white, but um, it actually uh, was built primarily by Doug, my brother. Um, yeah, boy, all kinds of thoughts come up on that. The guy that he was building it with, his dad and my dad, uh, dad built the motors and tranny for his dad's 100-yard sand car mm-hmm. in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. And he owned a fab shop. And, uh, boy, it's a whole other tangent story here. But anyway... Um, it was OEM Wright Manufacturing, and he ended up uh, doing all the linkage bodies, the carb arms, the linkage uh, rods, the you know arm, the down rods on the linkage. The carburetor arms were all stamped by Gene Wright. Well, um, Gene started making so much power with his motor at Sandrag, he couldn't get it to hook up with the off-road tire, and his fab shop had stations and it had a conveyor belt with cups that took the parts to the next station. And the guy came, he broke a belt and he came in and uh, Gene Wright was trying to figure out something for the car. So he asked the guy, you know, Hey, could you make what? Anyway, they made a belt the size of the off-road tire, let the air off the off-road tire, put the belt around it with the cups on it, pump the tire back up. And it was the very first paddle tires ever. Oh, get out of here. And that was Gene Wright. Really? And then later on, uh, you know, he sold it. Uh, I think Beckett did it because Gene didn't want He was doing his fab shop, didn't want nothing to do it. And a guy named Beckett started vulcanizing him to an off-road tire. And they actually had a, a wire wheel machine. I went out and had him do a couple for me. And they would just take the wire wheel and it would cut the tread off and rough up the tire. And then he would vulcanize however many paddles and what size or height, depending on your application, onto the pa- uh, tire for whatever paddle you wanted. That's wild. So f- so from so that. So anyway, yeah. his son, mm-hmm. uh, one of his sons, uh, Greg Wright, who's passed away now, unfortunately, but anyway, he we kind of became friends, and he was working at the 7-Up plant right down the street from Jeanberg Enterprises there. So on his lunch break, he would come over to the shop and kind of hang out with us. Well, so anyway, Doug and him became really good friends. He wanted to go do drag racing thing, and Doug went out, and he had a friend, the Gene, or Greg Wright had a friend that worked out at the Long Beach College, and him and Doug spent bunch of time out there and they built that original car for greg to yeah. race and originally he said damn right because his last name right, w-r-i-g-h-t right. which uh his brother rick son little ricky owns right gearbox in riverside uh, i was waiting i was like why have i heard of right yeah something right right yeah. gearbox little ricky's uh brother's son sure sure thing but he's from that same family. so how do you end up with the car um i had built a baja bug mm-hmm. and he wanted to buy traded in baja bug for the car with no motor so did he he never campaigned the car no he took it out once i think to race and and then he had some legal troubles mm-hmm. and ended up going to jail so uh his wife i bought it off of his wife it happens a lot in the volkswagen unfortunately world. <laughs> it did it did happen but yeah so, so that was how i ended up with it 
And then uh, a guy named Mike Demkowski actually bought the motor, and that was um, uh, Latest Rage. Yeah, yeah. Chop Top from back in the day. That yeah. was Mike. And then we became good friends with Mike, and he owned a foundry, ended up doing a lot of casting the heads and wow, all the burnt parts for many years. And Really? Yeah. Now, when you built that car. Doug built that car. What? what I'm sorry. So when you now get the car that Doug built yep. and you start running it, you're like, now you're on your own at this point. No, I still work. So at you're Berg. still at Berg. Yep. What's the feel? So when you're going to get build your car and go racing, does the family come together? Or do the brothers kind of do their own thing with the racing? Um, I mean, is it pretty competitive? It's got to be pretty competitive. It started. Well, in the we 70s. were always very. It's the seventy ATC, buddy. I'll show you the. I'll show you the straight pipe. Yeah. <laughs> on the seventy. Oh God, yeah. Ask. <laughs> or, I mean, uh, Saddleback Park. We did a lot of competing <laughs> against each other. That was riding wheelies. That was our big thing. But really? Gary was the king of that, without a doubt. But yeah, we competed. But no. Um, as far as that, um, you know, Gene had the black car, which was a representation of Gene Berg Enterprises that he sponsored and did. And, you know, I had my race car and um, if I wanted to go racing, that was up to me. I wasn't sponsored by Gene Berg Enterprises and I didn't, you know, uh, have the help like Gary did on the black car. So I was kind of on my own as far as that. So. Right. Me and Doug were really close, and Doug helped me a lot with a lot of the things that I did on that car originally. But it wasn't too long into that, you know, when I first got that car that uh, Doug moved up to Seattle. So then I was kind of on my own doing that part of it. And, you know, I made friends, uh, a guy named Harold Carter, and, you know, he was a trans guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, he did the trannies for me always in the now, car. Back in the day, trans guy meant something different. But, yeah, I know what you <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. Transmission guy. <laughs> Great individual, man. Really, yeah. really been a friend for many, many years. And, you know, one of my few good friends is Harold. So, And so you start campaigning that. You're really campaigning that car on your own out of pocket. It's all you. Yeah. The, the perception I mean, I don't from want everybody, to say that, uh, you know. No, I, but, but, I mean, you get. Primarily it was me. Yeah. Primarily it was you. But, I mean, you, obviously you can't help but get some help. I, I want to say some help from the county, but you're, it's not like it's free help because you're you're working there. You're putting your time in and you're getting, I mean, you, you can get stuff at cost or whatever the right. case is. Yep. But you know what I mean? But yep. like, you know, you're really kind of, what's your goal when you get the car? Like your goal is like, I want to go racing myself and I want to see how fast I can go. And w- what's your benchmark? I want to do this. I'm going racing. I want to do wasn't, this. Wasn't any kind of specific goal. You know, you I mean, I, you know, I had this goal and, and it was funny because Doug, uh, Doug did the original lettering and he was in Seattle for it. Yeah. And, you know, he did a lot of the lettering on the black car in the early days. It was out of uh, vinyl, like, uh, you know, covered paper that you put down in the cover yeah, yeah. and he cut out and made the anyway stencils. But he sent me uh, uh, the lettering and, along with the cassette tape and it said Destination 979. So that was kind of my goal is I wanted to see if I could make it run 979. Granted, never happened. It was a far-fetched goal that I could right. never afford to do, but that was kind of the goal that we wanted to do. But um, What was the motor setup in that car? Well, um, <laughs> the best motor setup. How about that? The best motor setup you had in that car. I, you know, it, it was Old Faithful, we called it. And, and that was kind of a weird story because... Um, uh, the, my auto shop teacher uh-huh. from high school, 
uh, actually built the motor originally for one of the guys in DKP named Bill DeMoss. Uh-huh. And uh, DeMoss, it was funny, he was a surfer dude. He had a Carmen Ghia just slammed. I mean, you couldn't get a lighter under the front end of the Carmen Ghia. And this is 78, 79, you know, so badass, really neat. Had alloys on it. But anyway, hadn't seen for a long time. And I get a call. And uh, and it was, you know, to get a hold of Bill. So I, I called the number and asked for Bill. Dr. DeMoss isn't in right now. I'm thinking, doctor? I remember Bill, man. He's got to be a kynecologist, you know? I mean, that was the kind of guy who was a surfer <laughs> right. dude, man, right. the hip, you know? And whatever. And he was a chiropractor. And he had the motor that Mots had built for him for his gear. And he went to, um, you know, doctor to chiropractic school or whatever. So he still had the motor, never been done. Uh, we bought it for my wife at the time's car and put it in my wife's car. And um, subsequently, we ended up getting a divorce. And I got a call from her that the car wasn't running. She couldn't take my daughter to pick up my daughter, whatever it was. Some excuse. So anyway, I built a stalker for her to put in a car so she could get down the road. So I ended up with that motor that she'd ran out of oil. I got you. Follow. Burn a rod, <laughs> rod journal. And uh, so anyway, I took it apart and... Uh, you know, ground the crank or had it ground at the shop. I didn't do it myself, but had the crank fixed, repaired. Um, case was still good. It was 78 by 90.5. There was no heads. You know, the heads got destroyed in the blow up thing when the rod came apart. And uh, anyway, uh, Mark Veckley had a blown up uh, set of heads that I had done that was for the snooze you lose mm-hmm. uh, dragster from back in the day and Mark had bought the motor and then he put the motor in Dan Lynch's Diacono dragster yeah and it had the gear ratio for the 1600 and it 105 going through the lights the motor let go and it blew the head like the bottom by the push rod two poles the whole bottom fin was gone it was gone right up to the valve seats both seats were still in the head but everything below it was gone in one chamber oh, wow. and i said hey mark what are you doing this oh they're junk they're no good you know i said bring them in let me take a look at them you know <laughs> if you can fix them you can use them as long as you want i had them for 19 years on that motor <laughs> took me about two hours to <laughs> weld it up and fix the thing. i didn't even have to replace the seats Wow. I got another head, cut part of the fin off, you know, that was missing and spliced it in, welded up the chamber and the thing, fly cut it, reshaped the chamber, valve job, and put them on the motor. So you 78 them. by 90 and a half. And you had 19 years. 19 years. That's Stock incredible. Volkswagen rod, non-wedge mate flywheel. And that thing left with the wheels in the air every and single shift. Non-wedge mated. Correct. Stock Volkswagen rod. Yep. What turned to eight grand. Was it, was it 2007, 78 2007. by 90 and a half. And what's the fastest that car ran? With that motor, I ran a 50, 52, 53, 1152 at uh, Sacramento That's on fast. the, you know, Saturday night. 1150 on a two liter, 48s. That's, that's quick, man. So <laughs> what ended up, what ended up happening with that car? Um, I sold it to, uh, guy named paul over in england mm-hmm. and uh they flew did he over pursuit did you have the car up for sale yes i remember seeing it in hot Vita. Was it i was hot Vita i was building sale? the uh nuke the chop top uh-huh and so yes i had put it the the orange and white one up for sale when i was pretty near complete with the chop top that i was putting together so um 
anyway, him and his buddy flew over for the final race of the year over in Vegas because he wanted to see the car run right. and see what it was. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up, I think it was second or third round, it, it chipped a tooth on the ring gear. And I won, but I decided to not go back up because I didn't want to explode the thing. Or, I, you know, my luck, I would have cracked because it was sold, you know. So anyway, when he gets, uh, we get back from the race, we go to the shop and I'm going to show him how to service car. So we take the motor out, take the tranny out. I give it to Harold and Harold, every time I give him the tranny to replace, he goes, you know, the ring gear was cracked, but it probably could have gone one more race. Well, I tried to go one more race yeah, and I chipped the tooth on it. So I was getting about 30 to 40 runs out of ring and pinion before it comes apart. So anyway, I give the, uh, uh, you know, tranny to Harold. And I take the motor apart, do the rod bearings through the window and, um, you know, uh, valve job, you know, just kiss now, the rod valve bearings job. through the window is like not splitting the case and right. changing the rod bearings. Correct. And that's, that's and dude, what you would typically I, do. Between- I could take the motor from in the car, take the motor out, take it apart, do the rod bearings, hone the cylinders, you know, valve job, surface, back together and have back the car in about three hours. Wow. From disassemble to assemble back in. So anyway, about every hundred runs, I would put a new set of Volkswagen rods in it, right? So, you know, Volkswagen rods aren't, you know, the strongest in the world. Well, I sold the car, so I didn't put new rods in it. I left the thing to get all done. You know, Harold got the tranny, got a back car, you know, guy's there. So, hey, take it out. We always went down the end of the cul-de-sac there out in front of Burge, you know, and so we do the warm-up laps. We do like two laps around to get some oil, you know, heat it up and get some heat in the motor, whatever. And then you stop down at the end and preload, launch Bang that thing yeah. back and down, you know, first, second, into third, you know, coming back down the street. Bitching in. So he's, hey, can we put it? So we pull in front of the shop. So he wants to take some pictures, you know, shaking my hand and, you know, in front of Berg's that this is where he got the car and all that, you know, document stuff. Okay, you know. So I fire it up, put it back in the shop. It says, hey. My buddy'd like to go for a ride. Take him for a ride. Sure. You know, it's sold. I don't know. Sure like, come on, man. Let's Get go in. for a ride. You know? So he jumps in it right as I hit second gear through a rod through the top of the case. No way. Shit the whole fucking motor. Oh my god. Sold, paid for, money in the bank. Like, oh my God. And you know, that my first instinct was, oh shit, you know. And then I'm thinking, you know, it's actually a good thing. Because you'd rather go through the whole thing and well, if if it decent. went over there and it did it the first pass on them, it'd be like, oh, what the hell? Bird. What yeah. the hell did you do to it? I right. ran that thing for 19 years and never, you know, <laughs> you know, the story. Oh, yeah. So in a way, it was kind of good that it happened there. And and, and I ended up, uh, you know, had another case, found another. It was a Berg welded stroker. It was not a forged crank. It was the early welded, you know. How can you tell a Berg welded stroker from like a like another crank? It's got counterweights welded on so the count, but how, but are all the Jeanberg cranks stamped Jeanberg? No. How can you tell a Jeanberg crank from knowing what they look like? Really? Yeah. They're that distinctly different from other cranks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The early, the welded strokers were, and and even the forgings are. They're well, you're saying welded strokers, like they welded the stroke and the counterweights. Correct. Starting took with a sixty nine stock sixty nine. Yep. Yeah, and I used to always think that a you know until it wasn't until a couple podcasts ago where I always thought a welded crank was like a crank that they would cut the rods off and reweld it. I didn't know they just welded one side, one side, and then move the stroke over. Yeah, 
And I was pretty surprised. Yeah, but I guess that's how they kind of did that. And what's that? A lot of people kind of beef on a welded crank, but I mean, obviously Gene built them in the early days. Yeah. And they last. Very good. Very Very good, right? Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have. I mean, I guess what happens is like everybody else, when something takes three hours, like, well, let me turn this dial a little bit. I can get it an hour and a half. And then it's maybe that's what happens. The heat treatment on it's not as good and the welding, the penetration's not as good. Or what, what do they have issues with the welded cranks? Well, I, um, I, you know, they're not as strong as a, a one-piece crank. And so a, if you're, a forged crank, a cast one's obviously not as, stri- as so, strong. So if, you're, so if you're building a street car, are you worried about a welded crank in a street car? No. No. I mean, you're just talking top end drag stuff. You're just you want the best of the best. Not top end. It's the start. It's the sidestep in the clutch. No, but I mean, like if you're on the top echelon of drag racing, oh, yeah, you, yeah. that's what you want is just the best Absolutely. of the best. Yeah. What's the biggest thing you think has improved in the VW scene in your in your time that you've seen that's really made the biggest difference? I never really thought about that. Ah, if I if I had to pick one thing, it's the availability of the, you know, heads, the, you know, aftermarket stuff. Was there a time when you were worried, like, they're going to stop making heads and we're going to be out of heads and you're going to have the just old stuff to work with or? No, but the ones that were welded mm-hmm. and then, you know, worked done to them, it, there's a, there's a shelf or not a shelf life, a in-car life, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can only stand up so long and they do eventually start. I mean, it takes a long time. Don't get me wrong. You got to pee on them for a long time, but they eventually come up. Now, I did a podcast with uh, the guys out of Michigan from MoFoCo. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen his heads? Yeah. Now, he told me he went through a, like, he had some help with the Harley guys on the development, a little bit of design modifications to the stock design on the head. The fins. Yeah, yeah the fins, a little uh-huh. different. What do you think of those? Do those look like a decent set of heads as far as the casting quality and stuff like that? Or, I mean, um, you would know better than anybody else because Yeah, we actually at- did a tour when we went back for the Jeanberg Memorial Tour. We went to MoFoCo and saw them manufacturing the heads. And at the time, now I don't know if it's still true, but they had bought all of SCAT's old machines is mm-hmm. what they were doing the work on there with. And the the casting itself looked good and stuff, but I, you know, we watched the kid putting the guides in and you know cracking the guide boss because he didn't know how to drive a guide in. And I mean, we were just kind of looking at each other like, "Holy crap! How could they send that out to a customer?" You know what was going on at the time. Right, right, right. You know, I, I I've got Mofoco heads that customers have wanted me to do work for, and there was no cracked boss on it. And I don't know if maybe the one we saw didn't go to a customer. So I'm yeah, not trying to badmouth them no, at no, all, no. at all. And when I talk with him, you know, his tough thing is it, like what you said: you get your heads when you get your heads. Because I just got one guy now that I trust to do the heads, and yep. you probably had some pushback from that. And, yep. it, and unfortunately, anybody that tries to scale a business has that same challenge. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but overall, the, the heads that you've seen come out of there is, is can you is it a different casting? Is it is it? Well, it's just having the material so we don't have to weld it, and the plugs right. are in the right location. You don't have to weld and relocate the plug hole. You don't have to weld above the port. So in essence, it makes it a stronger head and a more durable head because it's not been welded on. Right. You know. Yeah, because putting that concentrated heat in a short location kind of changes the metallurgy a little bit. I mean, definitely you can't, can. you can't help but do that, right? Yep. And depending on how you preheated it, how you cool off will also affect how reliable and good the head's going to last also. Now, some of the heads uh, are different material. Some of the aftermarket stuff that you get now are different than, say, like a 
uh, O44 or, you know, the MPG TV or even the Mofoco are closer to uh, stock material than like a comp eliminator or a super flow style you know some of those heads uh, autocraft head and some of the, they're definitely not the same material as the type one style head is. have uh i got a lot of questions here now on the on the super flow heads good yep. heads yeah yeah not great for street Are you correct good? they don't have as good cooling like a street car would need and then um have you guys did you guys ever experiment with water cooling the heads yeah yeah gene did and i was very successful with it um believe it or not our dentist who was up in reno Mm -hmm. and um he had a very good friend uh scolari he worked for ma bell i guess is what it was called up there and he was an engineer guy he was good friends with uh, ken Tabor, our dentist and he did a lot of testing and researching stuff for gene up there and uh, you know we spent a lot of time uh at kenny's usually it was to get dental work done when we were up there but great great individual just a phenomenal person and he set up a bitchin shop up there you know and it was set up right he had all the right stuff he could do whatever he wanted mills lays had a dyno had a flow bench i mean you know i mean he really went right and when they were doing some of that testing, he was trying to make it a self-contained um, water cooling system. Correct. Like something so you just they, bolt onto the motor or you buy the heads, everything's external, it's outside, it just... It actually had a flat on the top fin and it had holes through it and it had a radiator that bolted right on the top of it. And then he made a shroud that went to the radiator to cool the radiator. Did he make them in production? Did no. they make a production batch or just no. one off? One off. That's wild. Yeah. And how, and what were the results on that? I mean, I'm sure you could run a lot higher compression. And they were playing with turbo. Yeah. He was playing with the turbo. Once they got the results they got, then it was like, well, let's see if we can turbo this thing. And, you know, what can we, uh, power can we make and still have sure. it live and, and be reliable? Because that was Gene. He wanted something that was reliable and would live, you know? So what was your overall relationship with your dad? Like, pretty tight? Yeah. I mean, uh, you got a lot of a lot of good memories with the old man. Absolutely, yeah, no doubt in my mind. Yes. And he liked to play pretty hard. I mean, there's pictures of him wheeling a dirt wheeling a dirt bike or yeah. jumping a dirt bike every Sunday for man. I want to say 20 years. That was the deal. It's Saturday. We would uh, service all the motorcycles, prep them, load them in the truck. Dad never did. Not even his own bike. We prepped like them, you serviced them. Stuff ready, boys. You know what to do. And we had nine bikes for four of us. Really? And we'd load them all up in the truck. We'd go to Saddleback Park Sunday morning before, you know, the sun came up. And we'd spend the whole day at Saddleback riding. And if one broke and it wasn't easily fixable, you'd throw it back in the truck and grabbed another one because we're here to ride. We're not here to work on your motorcycle. And so he, he spent years out there. And he really he loved, loved it. Riding dirt bikes. Loved it. Just loved getting out. And, and he liked making his own trails. We'd find a hill out in the back that was just brush, and he'd get up to the top and, and mow his way down. And then we started going both directions until we made our own, you know, path up and down the hill. He yeah. loved getting out there and just, you know, riding. Now, when so from my perspective, when Gene passed away, it seemed like a sudden thing. Yeah. But was it a shock to everybody, or was, was he having challenges with his health? 
coming up to his passing? Well, the um, trip to Australia where they actually uh, sent the black car down there and Gary went down and actually raced at some of the events down there and whatever the class was that, you know, his car fit into. Um, and he was on the uh, flight back. He had an aneurysm go through his brain. And so when he got back, you know, immediately then he lost his speech. He couldn't talk. Um, had some physical problems. So that was kind of the first thing that had happened, you know, at that time. <laughs> and uh, so that was kind of the start of it. And, you know, uh, he got better. He actually was staying at home and that was right after my daughter was born. And I think that was really uh, therapeutic for him with yeah. my daughter there. And he would walk her to elementary school and be there. How many there. grandkids did he have? Just Courtney that was alive at the time. Um, I've since had a, a boy, Gene, who we named after my dad since then. But Courtney uh, is the only grandchild he knew during yeah. his lifetime. So, And he did. He started to get his speech back and he was able to talk and he came back to work and, you know, was doing the whole thing. And he knew something was wrong. And he went to the doctors, which were in the, you know, insurance group, the medical group that he was, right. you know. And, and they kept, no, you're fine. There's nothing wrong with, you know, and he knew something was wrong. He went to a specialist outside and paid himself to, and doctors look at him, he goes, oh my God, you're going to die. And fucking admitted him to the uh, hospital on the spot. Are you kidding me? No, no. They did a quadruple bypass on his heart or whatever, and, and he never recovered. That's incredible. And, you know, at the time he was a uh, candidate for a heart transplant but when they moved him up to i don't know if it was usc or ucla whatever one up there in la um he got an infection where they had taken the arteries out of his leg and if you're not healthy you're not uh eligible for the heart transplant so once he got the infection in his leg then they were waiting and and he was being kept alive on a machine oh, you know man. and his wishes were not to be and, you know, we made a decision as a family to, you know. So what was the timeline from Australia to when he passed? How long? I don't remember. I think it was a couple of years in between. That's crazy. What do you think? What do you think your dad would think about the, the, the industry, the aftermarket industry, the way it is right now? I, you know, I don't think it bothered him one way or the other. It would just, you know, well, not energize that it would bother him, but like. Was he just such a hardcore enthusiast in the VW world? Like he just—I don't think the industry would be what it is right now if he was still alive. Yeah, it would be much different. I don't think the lesser quality parts would have survived this long with if he was alive. Especially after people started charging more. You know yep. what I mean for stuff. Yep. Yeah, yep. it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I don't think it would be anywhere like it is now. Well, I think there's just there's 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 so much, you know, he wasn't you look at you look at the history in the VW world of people that have contributed and most people contributed of this piece or that piece or this gene did everything. Yeah. Engines, trannies, you know, trannies, yeah. cams, heads, yeah. carbs, like from from air cleaner to tailpipe, like everything in between. Yeah. He put his hands on like. Because it's the philosophy of like, you just can't crank the compression, you're done. 
Yeah. You can't just do one thing. And then, because once you bump it up, everything's got to be bumped up accordingly. And it was, it was pretty. He was always trying to evolve. And um, he put good people around him to learn from. You know, the, I'll never forget, uh, Cotton Perry. Perry and Hendricks ran a modified production six-cylinder from back east. And we met him at one of the national events. I think it was Indy when we went back to Indianapolis for the U.S. Nationals. And um, they became friends. And the guy Hendricks that worked for Cotton Perry was brilliant. And when they came out for the world finals, they, you know, Gene, keep the car here at my shop, you know, and they hung out. Well, while they were there, Hendricks came in and showed, you know, Gary and Gene, but about the carburetors and redid the the IDA Webers, you know, and they were 51s. They were bored at the time, you know, but went in and, you know, uh, streamlined the uh, throttle shaft and, you know, massaged the auxiliary Venturi and redid and car picked up almost a tenth reworking the carburetor something we'd never even delved into but he would have people around him that he could learn from yeah so gene as much as people think gene was like locked into what he's going to do gene was a teachable guy if he knew you knew something more than he did he listened yep shoot at the world finals when it was hit orange county raceway mm-hmm. you know the volkswagen guys you know it's a tight-knit community and the guys support each other well gary had lost at the race and Duncan and Ness were still in. Well, they popped their motor going through the finish line. And, uh, Gene said, we got our motor right here. Cause I don't know if they had a spare or what, but anyway, I remember they Gene and Gary, let's get the motor. We're out there taking it out of the truck, getting it on the, you know, to get over to Dun- They're over there taking their motor out of the car that just blew up. Cause they're going to make next round. And we get over there and the motors on the ground right out. And we're putting the other one in look over now at this time everybody's supposed to be running basically the same stuff well and and gene had a thing with bill taylor that we'd share in information we're helping each other yeah and we go over and we look down at their motor and it's like what is that there's something in the head you know we're kind of looking like what is that you know and come find it was a cast iron chamber they'd milled the head out and put a cast iron chamber in the head and it was like what you know and and what it did is it retained the heat in the combustion before it dissipated to the rest of the head. So would it effectively give you a hotter burn? Made more power. Yeah. A bigger bang. Yeah. Because wow. it was concentrated in the head. And then Gene ended up, you know, doing the cast iron chamber in their own heads. But <laughs> I broke one of them. I'll never forget. One got damaged and needed a valve seat. So I, you know cut the cast iron to install the seat in and I could have put the seat in and it split the cast iron because you can't put the same press that you do on aluminum and cast iron. So I did the <laughs> 10 thousandths press and as soon as I went to drive it in, it just split the, the chamber in half and it was right before a race. We couldn't replace the chamber. I welded it up with silicon bronze mm-hmm. helicoil, made the race, got through the race. And then when we got back, we put a new chamber in it. But yeah, so, you know, we always shared everybody that was just gene he didn't but that was the time you're like hey maybe you guys aren't really sharing everything huh i know there was some discussion (laughs) that they had between each other that they were doing that on the the lowdown that we didn't know about so with the carburetors were you guys the first ones to go big size on the 48s to to machine them out to 52s or 51 i believe so yeah i mean that was 77 or 78 which is like the big new thing like the 62s or the whatever it is i mean obviously bigger we're back to bigger is better 
Yeah, well, you know, that was a limitation. Right. Because now we had the spread port head, we had, you know, the big flow, the, you know, uh, well, carburetor was what was holding it back. So, And that was evident when, you know, the guy went in and massaged him and they picked up just because he picked up some CFM in the carburetor and the car yeah. picked up. So you knew that was the, you know, restriction in the motor. So. Now, this is my own, for my own purposes, do you do type four heads? Yeah. Oh, so you can do type four yeah. heads. Oh, yeah. Can you, is there any tricks you can do to a type four head? Put the plug back in the type one location. So I want to say they sell them that way. If, if I send you a set of type, well, let me ask you this: the ones that they make aftermarket. If I send you a set of type four heads for the same price of what I'd pay for those, would you be able to give me a better set of OEM heads? When you say OEM, are you asking? Well, like quality is the casting or, is, the ca- is the OEM casting better than the aftermarket casting? I haven't personally done any metallurgy test and I don't have enough experience with the running of the aftermarket stuff to say yay or nay. Honest. Honest. But I mean, we would stand to reason that if you can use anything that's OEM, it's probably going to be a little bit better quality material. I would think possibly. Yeah, that that could be true. Yeah. So uh, do you have, you work on type four heads for off-road people and stuff? Not as much anymore. Um, but I kinda, when you did, what were the tricks? I mean, I know everybody fifth studded them because they said the head doesn't clamp down real good on the. Well, you know, and that, that going to other countries, polar opposite of here. Everybody polar in Europe opposite. uses type fours. And I'm a Aust- type four guy. Australia type four. I love type fours. It's a big block Europe, VW. Yep, yep. You go to Europe, Germany, any yeah. of those, it's type four is the way to go. Because it is. It's, it's been a, a lonely road over here. Yeah. <laughs> walking yep. this alone yeah but i lo- i mean i have in my buses i had it in my type 3 gear i love i just love the grunt of a type 4 it's a torque monster i mean and that's what really that's what you feel you know and when you when you like to be on the freeway just easing the throttle and just blow past people that's something different and, and i mean the motor in my bull run bus is 19 years old I no, more than that 20 years old and it's like yeah. heads have never been off it yeah. it's like wring its neck and keep going you can make a type one do that too for 19 years. Yeah. Well, you had a drag car. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, anybody you'd like to thank in particular before we wrap it up, like anybody you think has been there for you and, uh, you know, just people you want to, anybody well, you want to give a special mention to? Well, you know, I mean, obviously I want to thank, you know, where I grew up, my mom, my dad, you know, my mom, what a sweetheart she is. And just her. the I'm waiting. She's biggest heart in the world, to. you know, biggest heart in the world. So, yeah, of course, my mom and, you know, what a privilege, you know, growing up around my dad was. Yeah. I'm really lucky, you know. You you just, absolutely. <laughs> I'm getting choked up just thinking about it, you yeah. know. But, yeah, I just. You know, they say you don't know how good it is till it's gone. And, you know, I always knew that he was smart and I always knew that he knew what he was talking about. But to go to other countries and to see the respect and, the, you know, that he, yeah. you know, developed from other people, it just it, it's humbling to know what he did for a lot of people. Well, what an impact he had for a. For something that was, I think it, 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 you can't be that committed, I believe, and you're in it for the money. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Because his level of commitment was like, if his name's going on it, it's going to be the best it's going to be. Absolutely. You know? And yep. I think, 
And I think it's really there. I don't know of any other name that holds that benchmark in the VW industry. That's true. You know, and I think, and I like my personal dream is like, I think to myself, and I told you this once before when we talked, I said, I, you know, my thought is if the Berg boys were, were, were able to work together in, in their strong suits and under the Berg name, you guys could produce product and, 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 a, and a, and a business that I believe would, would be challenging to anybody to keep up with in the VW world. I think you're right. I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I, th- and I, and I think, and the tough thing is, cause I've worked with family. My son works for me now. My sisters have worked for me in the past and it's a family is always tough to work. It, it's just, it just is. It's tough to work with people. Like as you're working here by yourself, it's tough. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it's people don't understand that, but yeah. try 24 seven. I mean, well, yeah, it's when you, you guys go, lived at the shop yeah. I mean, basically and, and lived up. together at home. So you would be at the shop all day long, yeah. all night, and then go home and be together all night. And, you know, they say, leave it at work. Well, they're still leaving yeah. it at work when you're family and That's you're tough. working together like that. So we, we actually learned to deal with it and it got a lot easier as we got older to where we knew what it was. And it wasn't a burden like it is to some families you know working and living together but uh yeah i agree with you i think that you know if the three of us got back over there and did i think it we could do phenomenal things it would do it would do something unmatched in the vw world i think today you know yeah you don't know i mean obviously it's speculation but yeah i'm talking about the quality of the quality of things that you guys could produce and the the second challenge would be finding a team you could build around it because obviously the three of you couldn't do it you guys would basically have the three overseers of the different (laughs) departments you know what i mean that would do different things but be able to produce you need a good i mean you know how tough it is to try to get a second hand in here even if you get a guy like if you could find a kid that could prep and get things ready for you you'd blow out heads out the door like all day but it's just like you, it's like you waste half your day explaining to people what to do, and then they go, "But why?" Well, everybody that I've ever done, they think they know what I do, and then they go open their own business and claim I taught them. Yeah, so. yeah they're training your competition, right? Yeah, unfortunately, but there's actually only one guy that I really trained, yeah, and thoroughly trained. I mean, I trained some people, you know, denim and and, uh, but Mick Wooten was the only one that really got all the way through the race heads yeah like denim we got up to the welded ones but never into the race head part of it or the flow bench part of it like i did with mick you know and mick went into i think cnc machining or something it i think it was his father-in-law or something's company that he went to work for after us but yeah so i know what it's like to train your competition yeah (laughs) that's a tough deal man well I'm listen. You were last one. One other person I wanted. To oh, thank please, please, my, please. My wife and my kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, I, I wouldn't be here or be who I am without them. So. Yeah, that makes it makes all the difference in the world, man. It does. I yeah. mean, a family really, it's different. Yeah. You know, it changes how you, it changes how you hear and see the world. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> and, and, and it's it's hard because I've I've got buddies that that they're not married and they don't have kids. Right. And they look at me like I'm crazy when I say that. And I'm saying it's something that it's something you can't explain to somebody. You have to experience it, yeah. you know, but it really, when that first kid's born, man, like the, you know, the, our similarities is my, my dad, my dad was a tough old SOB 
And he was like, hospitals are for people. I don't need a hospital. I don't even take an aspirin. That, that was my dad's mentality. Right. It's same story as your dad. My, my, my dad went in for a quadruple bypass and never made it past two weeks after that. And after, my son was just a few years old when that happened. And, and uh, my dad, my son was my motivation for my dad to go to the doctor. You know what I mean? Because he wanted to be around for my for my son. Right on. You know, so yeah, 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 yeah. It makes a huge difference, man. <laughs> Both of us two big crybabies over here getting all choked about their dads. But I tell you, you know, it's uh, it's great. I'm I'm honored to get you. You're listen. You're last to be born and you're first to be on the podcast. So how about that? Wow. I, that- <laughs> I gotta admit, I was I was really nervous. Like, God, do I really want to do this? You know, am I gonna say something bad or? Uh, Listen, I was really apprehensive about doing this. It's so. been great, man. I, I appreciate the history, and I for sure want to have you back on. I mean, we've got a lot of more, a lot of ground to cover, and I'd, I'd love to maybe we do a deep dive on Heads One Hundred and One. Sure, you know what I mean. And I yeah. think that that's a podcast in and of itself. So. Sure, without a doubt. Thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for asking me. All right, brother. A Volkswagen is a nice station wagon to have around the house.